Well, welcome to Church Project. I'm glad that you're here. My name's Aaron. I'm the pastor here. We've got a lot of smiley faces out there, a lot of good-looking people out there, so I'm glad that you made it. We'll, we'll try to fly through this so you can get to the Bronco game, so I'm completely <laughs> joking. Um, but if you do ha- have a Bible, if you would, open it up. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. If you have one of those blue Bibles, it's on page 567. Uh, as Kendall said, we've been going through our pillars. We've been talking about the importance of why, why do we do house churches? Why do we do ministry partnerships? And today, what we're doing is why do we do our Sunday gatherings? Uh, I got to tell you, it's been a fun series to go through, and we'll be picking a book to go through again shortly after this series. But what's been fun about it is introducing people that are now directing certain areas of church project, having a new house church start like during this series, and, and seeing it even week number two, it's rocking and rolling, it's, it's gaining momentum, and church, we're coming alive. People are coming alive at church projects. So, uh, you know, we're a church. We're an ongoing pursuit to discover what Christ originally intended church to be. That's what we say about being a church. But we're also a project, which means we don't have it all together. Like, we're, we're trying to pursue this thing together and try to figure it out. So, if you don't have it all together and you want to be chasing after God, you're in a great place. So, glad that you're here today. Uh, my story, I, I want to, before we start talking about our Sunday gatherings, this is what we mean, we mean by our Sunday gatherings, I want to talk about my story a little bit um, and how I was called to, to be a pastor. I've been a pastor for um, 18 years, uh, but I, I remember a long, long time ago, I was in junior high, I was in high school, and I had this crazy youth pastor, Jerry Ishida, and his wife, Julia Ishida, which they're sitting right there. <laughs> trying not to make eye contact, that just love God. They, they just love God. We did crazy stuff together. We went to camps all the time. They taught us, and I think James was probably Jerry's favorite book because he taught out of that a lot. Uh, he, but they really showed me, and they showed our youth group the power of God and that being a Christian could be a good thing and a fun thing. And I remember at a young age, God grabbing my heart, and I didn't know when, I didn't know how or why, I didn't know anything except that I felt God was calling me to do something vocationally in a church, spend full time in it. And of course, your first thought is, I want to be a youth pastor because you can do donuts and minivans and all sorts of fun things like that. Thank you, Jerry. So I I owe a lot to Jerry and Julie for for even at a young age, just kind of prompting and just kind of getting us going. So thank you guys for that. Um, Yeah, I'll just say that. I better get going here. Um. Fast forward, I, I, went to, I went to college in Liberty University, thought that that was a joke, dropped out, started a rock and roll band, and as Bill says, that's another story for another time. <laughs> Found myself a few years later married with a, a daughter and, and another one on the way, thrust into ministry, uh, no college degree, no experience, just a lot of passion and a lot of heart, and, and God continued in our lives just to even thrust us into larger ministries and 
and it was insane how big the ministries were that God was bringing uh, for Lauren and I to lead and be a part of. And, and, and I'm watching at this point thousands of students come through our ministry. And I'm watching year in, uh, come, a year come and a year go. And all these relationships with students. And, and I would say it was fun. I would say we had a blast. We did a lot of minivan donuts, Jerry. You'd be proud of me. Except we had big buses we were doing them in as well. I mean, it was a lot of fun. But God really started to work on my heart and really started to just... I I started to ask the question, what does the student look like when they graduate from our student ministry? I mean, do they really know who God is? Or can they just say church was a lot of fun? Unfortunately, I could say probably more than anything, they, they had a lot of fun, and they didn't necessarily know who God was. And there began a seed in my heart of almost bitterness and almost disgust for the church at large. Not the church's fault, my fault. And I think it was something that God was working in me also. So we can fast forward my story till I was at another church, even larger, in charge of multiple youth pastors in multiple locations across America, thinking, okay, now if I just speak to a camera and thousands hear it, and then, then I pour into the youth pastors, I can kind of step back a little bit, and hopefully they're growing closer to God, and, and I'm sitting here, and, I'm, and my heart is still getting bitter. Now I'm really getting kind of upset at what church is producing, to the point where if you sat down on your chair today, there was a card. It's a white card. And if you, re, if you I, we put it upside down on purpose. And if you would grab that, um, we want to change the way people see Christ, Christians, and church. I got to the point where I was so bitter at church. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was so bitter at church that I was okay if every church building in America was to burn down. Isn't that pretty drastic? That's probably a good time to say, I'm not uh, in a good spot to be leading other youth pastors. Wouldn't you agree? And so we did the only thing we knew what to do, which was I grabbed my family and we fled to Mexico. <laughs> For real. <laughs> we went. We spent a year in Mexico, just as, and God was kind of rebuilding us, and, and we were pouring into other people, and I had to ask some really hard questions. Who is God? Um, what is the church? We had encountered a lot of pain in church. We were disillusioned by church. And I came across a wise prophet called Coldplay. I was listening to one of the songs, and and one of the lyrics of the song says, Am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease? And I really had to ask myself, am I part of the cure or am I part of the disease? Am I just another disillusioned Christian that's walking around bad-mouthing the church the bride of Christ, uh, what they're not doing right, or am I going to be part of the cure? And I knew at that point that God was calling us back into America to do church differently uh, than we had done it and to be part of the cure and not part of the disease because here's the deal. I still believed in God. I still believed that he loved me, and I still believed that he had this thing called his bride, which is the church, and he was intimately in love with this bride, the hope of the future. Because if it's not that, tell me what it is. And so as we came back, speed things up, here we are. We just celebrated five years of, of being a church that's trying to be part of the cure instead of the disease. We've been going through our series, and if you, if you look on the walls over here, there's things that we believe, and you can go and read those. But there's three things that would drive us. And 
the purposes, to make disciples, to meet needs, and to grow churches. These are the things that drive us. And, and there's three things that we hold fast to. We, we will remain our values to be biblical and simple and relevant. And we can unpack all those words and what they mean, but go read them. You know, and the thing that we've been going through is there's, there's a structure of what we do, and that's our Sunday gatherings. Welcome. You made it our house churches, and our ministry partnerships. And it's all about a group of people that are trying to figure out how to love God more as we're part of the cure instead of the disease. So before we look at the specifics this morning as to why we gather on Sunday mornings, let's look at what church is. If you were here four weeks ago, we kind of took a, a, a look at what church is, but I want to jump into it a little deeper. And so you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13 to read this together. What is church? Let me read it. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Look at verse 13. Who do people say that I am? And I ask you, who would you say Christ is? Who do people say that Christ is? People are threatened oftentimes when they find out that you're a Christian. Um, Sometimes with a lot of hatred, a lot of misunderstanding about who Christ is and and what church is. Maybe because of past experiences or involvement with with Christians that we'll just say were not so nice or very judgmental and, and would really point fingers at people. And so when we encounter the world at large, unfortunately, I got to say, what people think of Christians more and more these days is getting less and less. And I, unfortunately, or fortunately, get, get the, I, I get the most of that because I love when I interact with people throughout the community, rather sports teams or just meeting people. And we had a block party on, on our block last, last night, and a lot of our neighbors came and hang, was hanging out, and it was a lot of fun. But as I'm interacting with people, I really hate that moment when they just say, so, Aaron, what is it you do? And I'm like, no, man, we've been good. Like, this has been great. Like, no, why do you ask this? Because I just know that as soon as I'm like, I'm a pastor, it's like, ah, sweet. (laughs) I knew I thought we were going to, we were building something here. Yeah, the climate's just not that good. Christians, and we say this often, is Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're for. What would it look like if if Christians, we were known for love? We were known for grace. We were known when when we found out someone that went against all beliefs we ever thought in the Bible and we we came across them, 
We hugged them. We walked with them intimately. We weren't judgmental. But we were people filled with hope, speaking what can be and what will be. Like, what would that look like? We wouldn't have to write on the back of a card, we want to change the way people see Christ, Christians, and church. And it would make my job a lot easier. You're a pastor. All right, high five. The answer's here. Let's look at verse 14 through 17. Oh, let's, let's read 13 again. Now, when Jesus came into the, the, the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Church, who do we say that the Son of Man is? In verse 14 through 17, they said this. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. Different thoughts and different philosophies and different religions. And some people have have come from a a Catholic background. And the Catholic church really believes in this apostolic secession. And it's really built, a lot of the, the theology is built off of this passage right here. And the apostolic secession would say that Peter... Jesus is building his rock on him, and Peter laid his hand on someone, and that person laid their hand on someone, and that person laid their hand on someone, and they were set apart from the beginning, and so we have the the, the hierarchy of priests that are in line with this, this passage, and lineage of Peter. And so we have this apostolic succession right here. But as I read this, And as I study this, and I have it great deals, read this and studied this and dropped into the original text to to find out what this is saying because either the Catholic Church has it absolutely right or we're seeing the text in a different way. And so as I read this, I say it's not necessarily, this passage is not saying that Christ will build his church on Peter himself, the apostolic secession, rather on the confession of Peter What Peter is confessing is what Jesus says, I will build my church on that confession. Peter, the Catholic, the the Catholic Church universal. That's a way of saying church at large. Sometimes you, you may hear it two different ways. I got confused when I first heard it. The Catholic Church is us, the church. But then there's the Catholic religion. Okay, so the Catholic Church at large, the universal church, is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church universal, which is the same as the local church. So every Christian in, around the whole world is the Catholic church, all of us, and that is the same as the local body. And, and, and I, I want to say that because I want to I back this up with a few verses, okay? Acts chapter 15 Verse 41, uh, you can write that down, says this. And he went through Caesarea and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. In Revelations 1-4, John, he writes and says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Multiple times in Bible, you can look how we're writing to a local church, but we're writing a message to the Catholic church, the universal church at large, okay? The church is universal, and the church is local. 
Why do I say that? A few years ago, and there's people today, that the fad was famous a few years ago, a famous Christian author saying, I quit church. I quit. I still love God. I still read my Bible, but I'm not going to a local church. I'm not part of a local congregation. There's a lot of books and there's a lot of stories about people that are quitting church. And I ask, as the, the Catholic church, the universal church, as the Bible is speaking to specific churches also, how can we divorce ourselves from being part of a local congregation if we claim to be part of the church at large? We cannot. We cannot get our relationships online. Now, you can find great teaching online. That's way better than my teaching, no doubt. There's great tools. There's great things that we can use online, but we cannot divorce ourselves from the local church. What we do in this body is what God had in mind for us. Our expression, church project, what we do here. God has in mind for the universal church, and this is our expression. Not every church in Greeley has these structures that we do, and not every church in Greeley believes in ministry partnerships or house churches. Most churches have Sunday gatherings, but this is our unique expression that Jesus has given us, church project, of how we are part of the Catholic church at large. We've come together around a specific purpose. I've, I've given my life for this cause. The local church is the expression of the bride of Christ that will affect the world. And church, when we can realize that God has given each and every one of us distinct gifts, distinct purposes, and he's called us to be part of a local body that's part of the global church, we should, we should start getting super excited, start getting super pumped up, knowing that God has uniquely gifted us to be part of his church at large. And when we do that, and when we realize what the church is, the gates of hell will not overcome this body of Christ. I know, even this week, I had to send out emails and texts saying, would you, would you agree with me Satan is attacking us? On levels that we don't even understand, he's trying to take relationships and split them apart. He's trying to hurt us. To get us to disconnect so we feel ashamed even coming in these doors. Like Satan is attacking us, church. And we need to bond, bond together so that when the hard things in life come and when the glorious things in life come, we have relationship and we're doing this together. Your God-given confession makes you part of the indestructible church globally and universally. When you confess Christ as your Lord, you're part of that indestructible, global, universal church. But it's also, you're part of it locally. The church is the unique, powerful tool of the instrument of God changing the world. This is how the world is getting changed. 
When there was 12 of us, the world was still getting changed. When there was 30 of us, the world was still getting changed. And now when we look around and there's more of us, the world is still getting changed. It's just getting changed at a greater rate. Because we're coming alive as individuals in a local body for the universal church. As I read the news, we need this hope, don't we? We need this good message. What would be happening in our community without church project? Honestly, what would be happening here without church project? One of the things that we get to do at church project is we take mission trips to Haiti. Love it. I've done enough mission trips to know that this is what's going to happen. You're going to go. That was subliminal. You're going to go. <laughs> Do you like that, April? You're going to love it. It's going to break your heart. And if you've never been on a mission trip, it's going to break your heart. You're going you're to go there. You, it's going to take you a few days to get past the smell, the sights, the sounds, your broken heart. It just it doesn't look like this at all. I'll just say that. You're going to love it. And in the midst of it, you're going to fall in love with the people. And, and you're going to fall in love with the church. And their unique expression of how they do church. And you're going to get on a plane. You're going to come back. And you're going to feel guilty laying in a bed with a soft pillow. It's just going to happen. And so I know this. And so one of the things that, that we say before we even take students or we take adults on these mission trips is don't get bitter at our church. Like our church has been the ability to get you to Haiti to experience this wonderful thing and their unique expression of what church looks like. But I guarantee when you come back into America, you're, start, you're going to start going, our church is terrible. Like, wow, you start getting bitter because you're, you're just torn because of what you've seen. And how can we have a soft bed and they not have a soft bed? And we got to realize that it's a unique expression of God's church locally in each area. And we are to support the universal church at large. So don't quit the church that God has put you a part of. If you're compelled that much to Haiti, move to Haiti, right, April? Move, move to Haiti. Go there. Do that. But while, where God has put you to be part of this church, don't let bitterness creep in. You won't agree with everything. I will say things that will make you mad. I'm used to it. At times you're going to like me. At, at times you're going to be bitter at me. You're going to look around and you'll be in great relationships with some people, other people. You might want to go punch them in the face right here in our little congregation. Like this is hard. Relationships are hard, but we're in it. We don't quit. We don't quit on the relationships and we don't quit on his local church. Let's look at verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my, get that, my church. My church. Jesus is saying, I will build my church. I go to Jesus' church. You are part of Jesus' church as you come to Church Project. Um, So, you know, we we love doing this. We love church shopping. And we go and we go, you know what? That church had a little too loud music. That that church met in this funky little cafeteria thing. I'm not sure about that. That church didn't have a choir. This church is too big. This church is too soft. Like, I mean, whatever it may be. When we start church shopping, we've gotten this idea that this is my church. This is not my church. This is not 
our church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is my church, and I have the right to criticize and complain it and to go and come. Where does that mindset come from? Jesus said, this is my church, and I will build my church. But yet, sometimes we feel like we have the permission to start dating different churches. And, and maybe it may be in our past, we date different churches, and then we get engaged to these, these, these different churches in our past. And, and then we marry that church, and the first time the church burns our meatloaf, we divorce that church. And then we go and we do it again and we're in this vicious cycle of my church and burnt meatloaf and whatever. I mean, we're, we're in this. We laugh, but it's what happens. Sometimes I, as a pastor, I look out and I go, where's so-and-so? Where, where are they? Only to find out I had a booger on my nose and so they left church. Whatever it may be. Why do we get in this pattern? Of dating, getting engaged, marrying a church, and then divorcing the bride of Christ. Well, your church, it was 12, and I loved it. And then, then it turned 30, and now, that was good. But now I love this. Like, this is great. Let's add no one else. Like, this feels good to me. Like, you know, if it grows anymore, then we're not doing, like, uh-uh. Divorcing you, I'll go find another church. And it, it, we get this mindset that, it, that it's our church. It's not. And the last that I looked and the last that I read, you know, my Bible, we see that Jesus, he messed this whole thing up. Like Jesus had an intimate group. And then that group grew to about 120 people that were just loving life. And it's just the the perfect size, kind of the size that we're at right now. And then Jesus, and a couple of weeks later, after that perfect little size, he messed the whole thing up. And 3,000 people were added to their number in one day. Well, forget that church. I'm going to find another one, 120. Like, it's his church. He will build his church. People often ask us, how big are we going to get? I'm like, I have no idea. Already bigger than I thought. Like, okay. Like, God, what are you doing? Jesus builds his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not our church. This is not my church. God has called us to be a unique body directed by him. If we read the early church, they met in the temple courts until they got kicked out. And then they rented Solomon's portico, also known as Solomon's colonnade, because there were so many people. They met in groups. It's not just house churches. Though house churches are super important. And notice that we did our series backwards. Our structure says Sunday gatherings, house churches, and ministry partnerships. How did we do our messages? We, we started with house churches. Then we went to ministry partnerships. And now we're talking about the global church and how we gather on Sunday mornings. And we do that on purpose. We need to have all of these things in our life. So we see that they gathered by the thousands. Well, let's quickly. What did they do when they gathered on Sunday mornings? The first thing that they did is they studied Scripture. I'm going to start flying through some scriptures so you can write this down just so you know I'm not pulling this up, out or making this up, okay? So they studied scripture. In Luke chapter 13, 22, he went on his way through the towns and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Speaking of Jesus. 1 Timothy four thirteen through 16 says this, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of, of scriptures to ex, um, ex, uh, 
two, exhortation to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may see your progress. Keep a close eye on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The importance of sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 says this, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but have itchy ears as they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. The importance of teaching scripture and sound doctrine is so that we're not drawn away to our own evil devices and our own itchy ears, but we're staying true to the Bible and Jesus' teaching. We look in the New Testament church, Paul goes from church to church teaching. And my job on Sunday mornings is this, is to explain and ex- expose the scriptures the best that I can, explain them and expose them. Your job is to accept the scriptures and to apply them in your life. Don't accept them blindly. Open up your own Greek and study your own stuff and make sure that what I'm saying and teaching is true. But my job is to explain and expose it. Your job is to accept and apply it in your life. And that's only done by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. I can't make that happen. In a very real way, this is a symbiotic relationship of mutualism. You need me. I need you. We need each other to come alive and do what God has gifted each of us to do as we study Scripture and as we spur each other on to love and good deeds. Acts 2, 42-47 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Meeting together on Sunday is so important. The early church did it. So, First, what did they do during their gathering? They studied scriptures. Second, what did they do? They sang songs. Like we sing songs. Look at this verse, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And when we sing, why do we sing? And, and sometimes we hear people go, well, can you sing this song? I heard it on the radio. And the first thing that I'll say oftentimes in those is no, because we're Christocentric. Like we're focused on Christ and maybe even the theology of that song. We're not going to sing that song. It has made it about us and not about Christ. Like what we do, even our songs, we want it to be biblically based in everything that we do. So then when we sing, We can passionately sing, and it's from an overflow of gratitude in our life as we come together as his church, worshiping Christ and what he's done. You want to have a church full of passionate worshipers? Do you? I do. 
And the only way that we're going to have a church full of passionate worshipers is that tomorrow morning, you and I will be bent on our knees, thankful and worshiping God individually so that when we come together, it's out of a gratitude that's overflowing out of our hearts. We are worshiping King Almighty. Church, worship in this place starts tomorrow morning. We can either advance it by waking up and worshiping God, becoming alive in Him, or we can literally kill it by hitting snooze. Do you worship God? One of the other things I just want to mention briefly about our gatherings, one of the things I love about Church Project is in the end, We have the ability to go to Project Kids and bring our kids back together to worship together. Like to worship with your kids and to have your kids see other people worshiping and be a part of the body of Christ. I love doing that. That's beautiful. I love that time. Okay, let's get on. What did they do? Okay, they studied scriptures. They sang songs, but thirdly and lastly, they invested into each other. Just look around. Who are you investing into right now? Here. Philippians 2.4, such a beautiful verse, says this. Let each of you look not into your own understandings, but also to the interests of others. We're thinking of others. We're praying for others in this place. It's not just about us, but it's about investing into each other's. And this symbiotic relationship of mutualism takes all of us looking out for each other. All right, so let's talk about lions. Did I scare you? (laughs) Weren't expecting that? So lions kill other creatures to live, correct? We all know that? Yep, they're hunters. Lions hunt in a very interesting way. I love fun facts. Um, I can tell you worthless information, but I can't remember my wife's birthday. (laughs) That's a true story, right? I had to get it tattooed on my wrist because I could not remember. I forgot two years in a row. But I like fun facts. Here's some fun facts about lions. Lions, first of all, would prefer not to hunt. They will gladly eat animals that other people have hunted, or other, not people, other uh, creatures have hunted. And when they do hunt, they hunt in two very interesting ways. The first way that they hunt is they're sneaky, and they're patient, and they stalk their prey. And the reason why they do this is because they're not very fast, and they're not very nimble, I will say, if you look up how fast a lion can run, they can run much faster than you. (laughs) So you may say, well, they're pretty fast. They are pretty fast, but not as fast as the animals that they hunt. And so what they do is they crawl through the grass, they get as close to the prey as possible, and they try to move in slowly without being noticed and catch their animals, the animals they're hunting, off guard. They usually don't hunt an animal unless they can get within 100 feet of that animal. They can can run fast for a very short period of time, like two or 300 feet, and then they're just like pooped. 
And so they want to get as close as possible, catch their prey off guard, and attack them. The second way they hunt is they wait patiently for an opportunity to come to them. Lions will just hunker down, and they'll just wait for hours and sometimes days. And this is very convenient for them because they like to sleep a lot, and so they can take naps while they're waiting. And so they'll wait in places where they know that animals are going to go. They wait in the grass. They wait near water. And they just wait, and they sit there and sit there patiently, waiting for an animal to come by that they can just pounce on and attack. Both these hunting styles are the result of being lazy. Lions are lazy. They don't like to be noticed. They don't want, like to be recognized. Because when you're recognized, it creates work. Pandemonium. When animals see a lion, they freak out. Because that lion can kill them and eat them. And they know that. And so what happens is a lion will be sitting in the grass. And if they're noticed by another animal, the lion will sit up and start looking around nonchalantly as if nothing is happening. I don't know if you've been in this situation before, but you've been driving down the street. You see the cop. You're going a little fast. And you kind of nonchalantly just let your foot off the gas and just, you don't want to flash the brake lights. That's a tell. So you just act like everything's normal. That's what lions do. When they're seen, they just act like they're supposed to be there. They usually call off the hunt when they're noticed. They let their presence be known and they just wander away. They wait for another time. So in Africa, there's cattle ranchers, and they raise cows. That's what cattle are. That's your second fun fact. Have you ever interacted with a cow before? They are slow. They're dumb. Uh, I've seen a cow run once in my life, and it was one of the most awkward things I've ever seen. (laughs) So if you know that cows are slow and they're dumb and you're a lion, you have the choice between hunting a wildebeest that can run 50 miles an hour or an impala that can run about 40 miles an hour in serpentine or a cow. What are you going for? I'm eating steaks all day long, (laughs) twice on Sunday. (laughs) So how does a rancher protect their cattle from lions? Well, if we know that lions don't like to be seen, then clearly the answer is to paint eyes on the butts of cows. (laughs) African ranchers combat lions by painting eyes on the rear's of their cows. This is psychological trickery. This has been dubbed iCow. Think of your iPod, your iPhone. This is iCow. The man who came up with this idea was named Neil Jordan, and he's a university professor. And uh, Jordan began watching how lions hunt. And he noticed that 
Lions gave up the fight, gave up the hunt, when the Impala noticed them. And they would back off and go and wait for another day. And so Jordan and a local rancher tried an experiment where they painted eyes on the butts of cows. And after 10 weeks of doing this, they had um, kind of a placebo group that they didn't do anything with. And they had butt cows, <laughs> butt eyes. Um, and <clears throat> of the two groups, three cows died in 10 weeks on the non-painted butt cows. No cows died on the eye cows. And so this is a practice that is being used throughout Africa. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I don't know what Peter knew when he wrote this, but I love when creation and the creator collide. I love when you can see God in his creation. Satan is like a roaring lion. Like a lion, he's vicious, he's a killer, but he's also lazy. He likes the element of surprise. Satan shies away from being noticed. Satan stalks the shadows. He's waiting for opportunities to catch people off guard. But when he's noticed and he's recognized, he retreats. Church keeps Satan at bay. When we live and worship together, we're protecting not only ourselves, but we're protecting those that we live and worship with. Hear this. You are not only looking out for yourself. You're looking out for those around you. Take a second. Look to your right. Look to your left. These are the eyes on your butt. In a battle, it doesn't matter the size of the walls around the city. What matters is the city that's within the walls. You only become vulnerable when you separate yourself from each other. Right now, in this room, I guarantee you, that there are people here who feel alone, people that feel like life is just beating them down, beating them down, people that feel like there's nobody that's there for them. This is not their burden. This is our burden. Hear me. This is our burden. Nobody in this room should feel alone. Satan is lazy. He loves easy targets. The local church is God's hope. We're we're the local church, but we're part of the universal church at large. Church, let's love well. Let's love each other well. Let's be there for the difficult times. Let's be the eyes on the butt of a cow. I can't believe that.
looking out for each other as God gets much praise and glory in our lives. I have a couple challenges to, to wrap up today, and I want to challenge us as a church, okay? Here's the challenge. Challenge one, come early, please, on Sunday morning, would you? Like, I put it in the email a bunch, but maybe people don't read that. <laughs> come early. Why? Why? Even if it's just 15 minutes early. You, for, you, I mean, please, you know how awkward it is when... I get prayed over it at 9.50. I get taken over and they, they kind of pray over the message and all that. You know how awkward it is when I'm about ready to get prayed for and there's four people in this room and it's dark and it's cold and in walks someone that's a first-time guest. It's like, hey, it's like 9.50. We're supposed to start at 10. You didn't get the memo that you're supposed to show up at like 9.59. I mean, it's like, it's like a parking lot, mat, like a disaster out there. Church, even just to serve your church and to look after each other and to love your church, can you come 15 minutes early? Just, just come and, and pray and meet people and, and, and talk with people. There's challenge one. Challenge two. When you show up, even if it's at 9.59 or 10.10, whenever you can get here, look for people you may not know and people that may not know anyone else and introduce yourself. Get, get to know them. Help them feel a little less uncomfortable because already we're starting to turn into a place where you can come and hide and be unknown on a Sunday morning. That's why we're pushing people to house churches continually, be part of a house church, please, please, please. But hey, come with the eyes looking out, saying, I am gonna, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to introduce my, myself to them. I'm going to serve this person in this way. And here's another challenge. I believe in this message. I've given my life for this message. I believe this message is true. I believe this is the only hope in the world. We're the bride of Christ. I love that God is growing us, but I think God even wants to grow us more. You look on your chairs, there's those cards. Those cards are made for nothing more than for you when you're eating and you're talking with that waiter or waitress just to put, hey, thanks for your service. Have a great day, and you leave a great tip, and you just left an easy little card, like, hey, come to Church Project. These cards are there also to invite others to come to Church Project. You know, your neighbors, your friends, like sometimes we can get in the corner and go, I'm too embarrassed to do that, all along realizing that if we're not doing that, and they're not part of a, a godly community around them, they're vulnerable to the, sac- the, to the attacks of Satan. Like, we need to look around Greeley and go, and, and, and have like... Passion to bring people into our body because we know what we're doing for our body. We're looking out for each other and we're pushing Satan away. So church, that's why we even say invite more people to come to Church Project to be part of this community. I don't know what God's going to call you to do as as part of this body, but he's going to call you to something. He's going to call you to an action. Prayer, lead a house group, be a liaison. Come early and pray for others. Speak, play on the worship team, serve in Project Kids, right, Aaron? Serve in Project Kids. Multiple ways to get involved. But church, let's be the church. Uh, I'm going to ask us at this time, that's it, to just close your Bibles and really begin to reflect on this message this morning. Some of us in this room, we may be here for the first time, and some of us may know Christ, some of us may not know Christ. The promise is this, 
in Scripture that those who call on my name shall be saved. And Jesus says, there was sin in your life. You've made terrible choices, and alone you couldn't pay for those choices. So I sent my son to die on the cross for you. And that his blood would cover over your sins, the sins you haven't even committed yet, Jesus paid for. There's nothing so big that can separate you from the love of your Father, God. And so in this place, if you've never called out on the name of Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, would you? Would you just say, God, I'm I'm tired of living life on my own, and God, I call out to you. I accept the call for you to pay for all my sins that I've ever committed, but I also accept the call for you to be Lord of my life, that I may begin to um, focus on you and, and look more like you, and God, you would begin to make me look more like you. God, I accept your call to be part of the local church, your, your bride that's part of the Catholic universal church at large, God. I want to be a part of that. For in this I see hope and joy and love and purpose. And I don't see it anywhere else in the world. God, would you even bring to mind why you've brought me to Church Project, specifically me? Why am I sitting here at Church Project? And how can I be a part of this body of Christ that's pushing back the gates of hell? And so if you're comfortable with it, would you just hold your hands out in front of you with your palms open and say, God, anything I'm holding back in my life, I give to you. And God, I receive anything you want to show me and teach me this morning. And I would say, first and foremost, God, our prayer is that we would see who you are. How great and powerful you are. Would you show yourself to us this morning? That we would say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All powerful, all knowing, all loving God. God, please show yourself to us today. And then church, would we even pray with our hands just open and receive and say, God, in light of who you are, would you show me who I am? I don't have to be the aliases that others have given me and the world tells me I am, God, but I am a child of a king, a daughter, a son, loved by a king. The portions of my life that I live, where I just live defeated and and live like I'm chained up. God, would you break that in me? You've come to set the captives free. And God, I am your child. I am free. I am free indeed, God. I accept that today. I claim that today. I proclaim it over my life and the lives of the people at Church Project that we are free people because of the price that you paid. And may we march forward in that identity, God, as we are your church united. We come together to study scriptures and to sing your praise and to be intimately involved in the lives around us. And may we do that with all passion. 
It's our honor to be here today, God. Thank you for who you are and who I am in you.